guys, welcome to the ninth episode of the All Things Trent and Wellness podcast. I'm your host once again, Robbie Burke, and on this episode I interviewed Dr. Nat- Natasha Camel McBride. Dr. Natasha is the author of the Gut and Psychology Syndrome book, and on this episode we discussed everything to do with depression, anxiety, anxiety disorders, schizophrenia, autism, asthma, and any autoimmune disease that you can think of and how Dr. Natasha believes that dysfunction to the gut is the underlying cause to these conditions and discussed her protocol that she uses to help cure and treat these conditions. It was a a very informative interview and I hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, So Dr. McBride, if you just want to, for my listeners, just give a bit into your background and uh, mainly this interview will just be around your Good and Psychology Syndrome book. Um, my name is Dr. Natasha Campbell McBride, and uh, I'm a medical doctor, uh, qualified in neurology and nutrition, and uh, I've been working uh, using nutrition as a method of treatment of disease for the last 15-20 years uh, with my patients. Uh, how I got into this area is uh, through my own family. My firstborn son when he was three years old, was diagnosed with autism. And when I discovered that my own profession had nothing to offer my child, that threw me into a very steep learning curve, and I had to find a solution, and I have found it. Uh, so my son has fully recovered, and he's leading a normal life. He's, there are no traces of any disorder uh, left whatsoever. And through this work, I have opened the clinic, and I have been working with thousands of children and adults with learning disabilities, with psychiatric disorders, neurological disorders, autoimmune disorders, digestive problems, and other chronic conditions Mm -hmm. in my clinic. And through this work, I have developed my theories, and I have written a book called Gut and Psychology Syndrome, Mm -hmm. uh, which abbreviates to GAPS, where I describe a um, nutritional protocol for treating chronic disease that is mental disease and physical disease, which is now called the GAPS Nutritional Protocol. Mm-hmm. GAPS Nutritional Protocol has turned into a, an, an international movement. Now there are uh, in excess of 100,000 people around the world who are following this program because GAPS conditions are widely spread all over the world and many, many families and uh, children and adults need this very specialized help. So in the last year, I have been training medical practitioners in the GAPS nutritional protocol because I cannot possibly help all those people on my own. Mm-hmm. Uh, my clinic is oversubscribed. I have got a terrible waiting list. So um, I have trained 160 practitioners in the North America, in Canada and uh, United States of America last year. And uh, just last weekend, I have, tra- I have trained 40 people in London. Uh, some came from Ireland, some English, some came from all over Europe, and some practitioners came as far as Malaysia and uh, Dubai. So uh, all these practitioners who are now called certified GAPS practitioners are listed on my website. I run only one website, it's an information website called gaps.me, G-A-P-S dot me, mm-hmm. and E, like myself, me. And all these practitioners are listed there. Um, they are trained now to help this very special group of people. What kind of people we're talking about? GAPS is divided into two groups: gut and psychology syndrome, and gut and physiology syndrome. Thankfully, they both abbreviate to the same GAPS. <laughs> gut, yes, gut and psychology syndrome uh, encompasses all the learning disabilities and psychiatric problems and other mental problems in children and adults. We're talking about autism, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, attention deficit without hyperactivity, dyslexia, dyspraxia, a large group of children who do not fit into any diagnostic box because they have a little bit of autism and a bit of hyperactivity and a bit of dyslexia and a bit of obsessive compulsive behavior, a bit of this, that and the other, so they don't fit into any diagnostic box. That these children, but these children are not developing normally. Uh, their learning ability is impaired, their behavior is not right, uh, and other uh, mental functions are not right. And we come to epilepsy in children. 
majority, vast majority of childhood epilepsy are gaps, conditions, and need to be treated with gaps nutritional protocol. I have a very good record of treating these children uh, with this protocol. As we move to adults, we're talking about addictions, all sorts of addictions to drugs, to alcohol, and to various other addictions. We're talking about depression, obsessive compulsive disorder, bipolar disorder, manic depressive, schizophrenia, and epilepsy in adults. Mm -hmm. And uh, various other mental conditions which may not be as common in people. Coming to gut and physiology syndrome, we're talking about first and foremost autoimmunity, autoimmune conditions such as rheumatoid arthritis and osteoarthritis, diabetes type 1 in children and adults, uh, celiac disease and multiple sclerosis and amyotrophic lateral sclerosis and many, many other autoimmune conditions. Uh, there are almost 200 autoimmune conditions now identified by the mainstream medicine and the list is growing all the time. I'm absolutely convinced from my clinical experience and from what I have been able to study that autoimmunity is born in the digestive system. Mm -hmm. It is a digestive disorder first and foremost and in order to correct autoimmune conditions and treat them from the cause, from the root of the problem, you have to focus on healing the digestive system of Mm -hmm. the person. Then we move into a group of conditions which are called, which are, which are characterized by lack of energy production in the body, and that is fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue syndrome, and myalgic encephalomyelitis (ME). These are the people who cannot produce enough energy, so they they fatigued, they're very tired. Many of these people cannot get out of bed in the morning; they're so fatigued. Then we're moving into all sorts of arthritis problems. Um, these conditions are also GAPS problems, with starting from rheumatoid arthritis and osteoarthritis and various other forms of uh, chronic arthritis and transient arthritis and acute arthritis. We're talking about skin problems such as psoriasis, eczema and various other forms of dermatitis. We're talking about urinary tract problems such as poly, such as neuropathies, nephropathies, various nephropathies and chronic arthritis. Uh, we're talking about various headaches and uh, various allergies, such as hay fever and asthma and uh, other allergies. Why the list of GAPS conditions is so wide? Because as Hippocrates, the father of modern medicine, has stated all those thousands of years ago that all diseases begin in the gut, and I absolutely agree with him, and the more we learn with our modern tools, the more we realize just how correct he was. As he stated that all those thousands of years ago, I absolutely agree with him. All diseases do begin in the gut. What happens to these people? They do not develop normal gut flora. Gut flora is something that majority of people in the West are now familiar with. They, they, they've heard the term. They know that we have some bacteria living inside our digestive system. Well, uh, recent research has demonstrated that 90% of all cells and all genetic material in the human body is our gut flora. So we are just 10%. We're just a shell, we're a habitat for this mm-hmm. mass of microbes. And we'll ignore them at our peril because their role in our physiology is so fundamental, we just simply cannot ignore them. Um, they fulfill so many functions in the human body. And in a healthy person with a healthy gut flora, It is predominated by uh, beneficial species of microbes, beneficial bacteria, beneficial viruses, beneficial fungi, and beneficial protozoa, and so on. Um, And they control thousands and thousands of very pathogenic, downright disease-causing microbes, which live alongside the beneficial microbes in a healthy person, in a healthy gut flora. And because they're controlled by this beneficial flora, they do us no harm. They're even employed by the beneficial flora to do some good functions for us, some good things for us. The trouble is we live in a world where our beneficial flora is under attack all the time. Mm -hmm. The most damaging influence on our gut flora are antibiotics, Mm -hmm. broad-spectrum antibiotics. The beneficial bacteria are very vulnerable to those. They literally get wiped out by a course of broad-spectrum antibiotics. They do recover. It takes various species of uh, beneficial microbes in the gut 
between two weeks to two months to recover. But that's a window of opportunity for the pathogens who are usually resistant to broad-spectrum antibiotics. Antibiotics don't touch them. It is a window of opportunity for them to spread, to occupy new niches in the digestive system, to establish themselves, so the recovering beneficial flora has a fight on its hands. It's very difficult for it to take control again. So from course of antibiotics to the next course of antibiotics and to the next course of antibiotics, the damage to the gut flora gets deeper and deeper until eventually the pathogens start predominating in the digestive tract of the person. And that's when everything goes wrong in the human body because gut flora is such a fundamental factor in our human physiology. The first place that suffers naturally is the digestive system itself because it is protected and it is maintained and it's looked after by our gut flora. And when it becomes abnormal, the gut wall deteriorates. It's, it's unable to digest and absorb the food properly, so we develop multiple nutritional deficiencies. The body starts craving for nutrients. At the same time, these pathogens damage the integrity of the gut wall itself. The gut wall becomes porous and leaky. It becomes like a sieve. So it starts letting through all sorts of things which should not get through normally. The first thing that happens, the food doesn't get the chance to be broken down properly before it absorbs through this damaged gut wall. And then, of course, the immune system finds it in the bloodstream, looks at it and doesn't recognize it as food and starts attacking it. So the person starts developing allergies and intolerances to various foods. Mm -hmm. We have various testing methods now established for food allergies and food intolerances. And, of course, people get when the people start testing, they find that I'm allergic to this and that and the other. And as they start removing different foods from their diet, the diet gets more and more limited. Many people finish up with hardly anything left to eat, but their symptoms are no better. They do not get better. Because the problem is not with food itself, the problem is with the gut wall. Until that person heals and seals its damaged, porous gut wall, the food allergies will not disappear. And that's what nutritional protocol, GAPS nutritional protocol will do for you. It will heal and seal your gut lining, so you start digesting the food properly and absorbing food, the food properly. Apart from partially digested, uh, partially digested foods that leach through this damaged gut wall, a whole river of toxins start flowing from the gut into the bloodstream because pathogenic flora consumes the food that comes along and they convert it into many, many toxic substances, very poisonous substances. These substances also get into the bloodstream through the damaged gut wall get distributed around the body and wherever they get you, they cause trouble. They cause disease. And the pathogenic microbes themselves get through this damaged gut wall and float around the body and get in different tissues and establish themselves and uh, become parasites start causing disease as well. That's how GAPS develops, gut and psychology syndrome and gynecology syndrome. When these things, uh, partially digested foods, or the immune complexes and toxins and bacteria and microbes get into the brain, they impair the brain's ability to function. So the person develops, if it happens in a young child, the child becomes autistic or hyperactive or dyslexic or dyspraxic or obsessed or compulsive or oppositional defiant or something else happens. If the situation develops in an adult, uh, if these things get into the brain, the person can become depressed uh, can develop bipolar disorder, can develop any other psychiatric condition. Mm -hmm. If these things get into your joints, they can start rheumatoid arthritis or another form of arthritis. If they get into your lungs, they will start asthma or some other chronic lung condition. When your skin tries to excrete these things, eliminate them from the body, because our skin is the biggest elimination cleansing organ in the body, you develop eczema or psoriasis or various itchy rashes and dermatitis and other problems. When your urinary system tries to excrete these things out of your body and they filter through your kidneys, they cause nephropathy and they cause chronic cystitis in a person. Mm -hmm. So no organ is spared usually and pretty much every GAPS person has an overlap of symptoms from the brain and from the rest of the body. Mm -hmm. When you talk to people with depression or bipolar disorder or schizophrenia or any other psychiatric condition, 
you find that they also, they also have painful joints, have arthritis, and they have chronic cystitis, and they have digestive problems, and they have dry itchy skin or even psoriasis. So, um, but when you talk to a person, for example, with multiple sclerosis or diabetes type 1 or any other physical condition, you find that they're also depressed and uh, their memory is not good and they can't focus and they may have various other psychological problems, which means the toxins are getting into the brain as well and getting problems, making problems there as well. Dr. McBride, can you talk about your view on vaccines? Vaccines. Well, before we talk about the child, it is important to talk about the health of the parents. Why is that important? Because apart from genetics, there is something very important the parents, mother in particular, passes to her child at birth, and that is the gut flora. Mm -hmm. Because as far as we know, as far as the science knows, inside the mother's womb, the baby is sterile, and the baby's digestive system is sterile. When the baby goes through the birth canal, at the time of birth, the baby swallows first mouthfuls of bacteria in the birth canal, and that becomes the baby's gut flora. Where does this bacteria come from in the birth canal? This is the mother's vaginal flora. Vagina is a very heavily populated part of a human body. It's got its own flora. And that flora comes out of the bowel. So if the woman has got abnormal gut flora, she will have abnormal flora in her birth canal. And that's what she will pass to her baby at birth. Fathers are not exempt because the father also has a gut flora and his gut flora populates his groin. And uh, the groin is also heavily populated. And he shares his groin flora with the mother on a regular basis. When I look at the parents of autistic children, hyperactive children and children with other learning disabilities or physical problems such as diabetes type 1 or asthma, or any other chronic condition in a child, I find that pretty much 100% of mothers of these children have abnormal gut flora themselves. And that's what they have passed to their baby at the, right mm -hmm. from the start. So these children start their life at a disadvantage. Mm -hmm. uh, their gut gets populated by a mixture of pathogens instead of being populated by good, normal gut flora. Babies are also born with an immature immune system. It's an immune system that needs educating about wh what kind of world it comes to and uh, how to handle that world. Establishing a normal gut flora in the first 20 or so days of life in a newborn baby plays a crucial role in appropriate maturation of the baby's immune system. And babies who acquire abnormal gut flora right from the start are left immune compromised. They do not uh, react appropriately to the environment. So these are the children that catch every virus and every bug that goes around. The first thing happens to the children that they start developing ear infections, one after another. Mm -hmm. Usually because the immunity is misfunctioning, it is unbalanced and uh, it triggers production of far too much mucus on all the mucous membranes. So these babies develop, these children develop blue ear and ear infections. Antibiotics, of course, are prescribed and from every course of antibiotic to the next course of antibiotic, whatever precious little good bacteria this baby has acquired from the mom gets destroyed, gets less and less and less in this child. And apart from that, antibiotics have got a direct damaging effect on the immune system, on macrophages, on neutrophils, on leukocytes, and other parts of the immune system, suppressing it and uh, unbalancing it even further. Mm -hmm. So these kind of children, GAPS children, are not fit to be vaccinated with the standard vaccination protocol. They should not be vaccinated this way because these vaccines have been developed for children with healthy immune systems, with robust immune systems. These children do not possess a healthy immune system. Their immune systems are out of balance, they're in a disarray, they do not react appropriately to environmental triggers. So many of these children get damaged by vaccines. And vaccine perhaps may not trigger uh, development of autism or any other problem in a child, but it will bring the child closer to it. Uh, the child may not develop autism after vaccination, but a year later may develop diabetes type 1 or asthma or something else like that, because the immune system is not in a good shape to handle vaccinations. Siblings of autistic children and uh, 
of children with other learning disabilities acquired the same gut flora from the same mom. The fact that this sibling may not be autistic, may not be hyperactive, they still have got abnormal gut flora, these children. That is why I do not recommend that they are vaccinated with a standard vaccination protocol either. We have to change our vaccination protocol. But I'm afraid the change will not come from the government, from the top. It will come from grassroots. It will come from the, the patients. And uh, there are many patient groups now around the world who are fighting for this change, who are trying to change the, the government's mind uh, on this issue. Mm -hmm. Because these children are vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And nobody has counted what proportion of our babies are being born gaps nowadays. Uh, from my point of view, it's quite high and it's getting higher every year. So in that view, we do need to change the vaccination protocol. In your book, you, you discussed your what, what you would think would be a better protocol. Can you just discuss that now? You, I think you said you'd, you'd prefer like a single vaccination rather than multiple ones as well. Well, in my book, I have a whole chapter on vaccination where I outline a proposal to what should be done. I recommend that children in GAF families where parents have got abnormal gut flora are not vaccinated at all until they are four or five years old, four or five years of age. Mm -hmm. A child should be vaccinated only when the child is absolutely well. There is no runny nose, there is no cold, there is no nutritional deficiencies. And I believe that our governments need to develop a panel of testing for every newborn baby, uh, which is first and foremost based on a questionnaire of the health of both parents and grandparents of the children, mm. on the testing of the stool and the urine of the child, and possibly uh, blood test as well for the state of the immune system in the child, before vaccination is considered. Because the proportion of vulnerable children in our modern population from year to year is growing proportion of newborn vulnerable children. Mm -hmm. Children are becoming more and more vulnerable to vaccinations. We are damaging larger and larger proportion of children with vaccines. That is why the whole vaccination protocol has to change. We need to first assess the child's state of the immune system and the state of their gut flora before deciding whether we can vaccinate the child now or whether we have to wait until the immune system recovers, until the gut flora gets better until we can take certain measures and certain steps uh, in improving those systems in the baby. And only when the child is ready, when the test results are all good, only then we can consider vaccination. Apart from that, I would only vaccinate with single strains of vaccines because in history it is very, very rare to find any records of one child contracting at the same time measles and rubella or mumps and uh, scarlet fever, for example, or something else, to contract two or even three of these infections at the same time. But there are a few single cases which have been described where a child managed to contract two infections at the same time, and in every case it is described that the child followed with damaged mental development and physical development. Their learning ability got damaged and their behavior and um, other functions of the brain. So I don't believe it's a good idea to combine these infections in one vaccine. Mm -hmm. How do you find conventional medicine receives your message, Dr. Natasha? Uh, can you repeat the question, please? How, how do you feel conventional medicine receives your message? I don't think conventional medicine is that aware of it yet. Mm -hmm. um, I have quite a few medical doctors in my clinics who have autistic children and children with other problems themselves. Mm -hmm. And they're very happy to bring their children to me and they follow my protocol. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, medical community at large is still unaware of this development and uh, unaware of my work. Why, why do you think conventional medicine doesn't recognize the gut as a major factor in disease? Is it because they get very little education due to nutrition, would you think? Absolutely. Well, I think the general population, population now knows more about gut flora than the medical profession. Mm -hmm because they're not trained in that area. And the uh, medical profession has been taken over by the pharmaceutical industry several decades ago. Yeah. Uh, then the medical schools are funded by this industry and by um, other industries, commercial industries, which supply the mainstream medicine. And of course, the one who pays the piper orders the tune. So the education in the medical schools is directed in a certain way um, 
so that uh, medical profession uses only their products and sell their products and uh, are educated in that way. Mm-hmm. But of course, we have to understand that uh, mainstream medicine is only one form of healing in this world. Yeah. There are many other forms of healing, and every form of healing has its place. If, um, for example, you were hit by a car tomorrow, you wouldn't want to be taken to a nutritionist mm-hmm. or, or a homeopath. Yeah. You need mainstream medicine and fast, because our mainstream medicine has uh, achieved an awful lot in its ability to deal with emergencies, to deal with um, accidents and broken bones and things like that. So when there is any urgent situation, emergency, life-threatening situation, of course, my old mainstream medicine is unsurpassed in its ability to save people's lives. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to chronic conditions, chronic um, degenerative conditions and mental problems and learning disabilities, our mainstream medicine is not designed to deal with them. It can only offer you symptomatic relief. It can make the pain a bit less, it can reduce inflammation a bit, it can make you a bit more comfortable. But it cannot address the root of the problem and it cannot really cure anything. Mm-hmm. And that's why their position is that these conditions are incurable. Uh, they're incurable because they don't know the, the how to cure them. But it doesn't mean that the answer doesn't exist elsewhere. Mm-hmm. The answers all out there and they all exist. The best positioned people to deal with chronic conditions are alternative practitioners. Yeah. And nutrition has to be the basis of any treatment like that. Mm-hmm. We have to change the diet first and foremost uh, and then the body itself will start healing all sorts of damage. And then there are many other professions which are extremely helpful for chronic conditions. Homeopathy is, can do marvelous things. Chiropractic, osteopaths, naturopaths, and herbalists, and many, many other professions. Mm-hmm. They know how to deal with chronic conditions, and these are the people that should be dealing with them, not mm-hmm. our mainstream medicine. You mentioned nutrition there, uh, Dr. Natasha. Could you speak about your nutritional protocol for people with gaps? Okay, this protocol is, um, it is a program, it's not just a diet, but the diet is the most important part of it, uh, the GAPS diet. Because our digestive system is a long tube, and what you fill that tube with has a direct effect on its well-being. I don't know why gastroenterologists don't understand this. (laughs) Any child would understand that what you eat has an effect on your tummy as an effect what goes on in your digestive system, but our mainstream system, um, our mainstream medicine stubbornly denies any connection between food and the state of the digestive system. So in order to heal the gut, in order to heal those holes in your gut wall and stop leaking uh, um, the toxins and the partially digested foods and microbes into the bloodstream, we need to change the diet. The diet is based on a specific carbohydrate diet which was originally developed in the 1930s and 40s by Dr. Sidney Haas in uh, New York, who was a pediatric uh, gastroenterologist. When she developed that diet, it was curative for most digestive disorders, including ulcerative colitis, and Crohn's disease, and celiac disease, and other conditions. And initially, his work was hailed as a huge achievement in medicine. And then, unfortunately, new drugs came on the market and new theories came on the market, and the mainstream uh, medical profession has forgotten and discarded Dr. Haas's work. Thankfully, one of the parents, Elaine Gottschall, has picked up on it. She heard about his work from somebody rather, and she traveled with her four-year-old daughter to see him when he's already retired. Her daughter was suffering from ulcerative colitis, and the mainstream doctors were planning to cut her bowel out And as a result of her digestive disorder, the child was suffering from a learning disability too, close to autism. And uh, uh, when Elaine Gostrel saw uh, Dr. Haas, he recommended the diet that he designed for the child. And the girl recovered in a matter of months. Her digestive problems went away and her learning disability went away. And she fully recovered within a year and a half to two years from all her physical problems. Elaine Goshel was so shaken by this experience that she's written a book called Breaking the Vicious Cycle. And she's devoted her whole life to studying this diet, researching the background for it, and uh, putting it on a scientific basis. 
She has passed away already several years ago, but her legacy lives, and thousands of people around the world are healing themselves with um, specific carbohydrate diet. Mm-hmm. Yep, stand from that diet. I had to make a few changes and a few alterations to it and expand on it to suit the purposes of my patients, my clients. And it's my patients who called it GAPS diet. So that is the diet that they need to follow. The diet is described in great detail in my book, Gut and Psychology Syndrome, mm-hmm. and on my website, GAPS.me. Great mm-hmm. detail. Apart from diet, we have a few supplements. Um, first and foremost, we have to introduce probiotics because we need to drive pathogens out of the digestive system and we need to replace them with the beneficial bacteria in there. Without the presence of those bacteria, no healing can happen in the digestive tract at all. And some other nutritional deficiencies have to be eliminated with natural supplementation. And apart from that, there is a third part to the GAPS nutritional protocol, and that is detoxification and lifestyle changes. Mm-hmm. We all have got the so-called detoxification system in our bodies, with the headquarters in the liver and departments in every cell of the body. This is a cleaner in our body. This is a system which deals with the byproducts of our own metabolism and anything harmful that comes from outside, anything toxic yeah, that comes from the outside into the body. Mm-hmm. In GAPS people, there's a river of toxicity flowing from the gut to the liver. So there, the detoxification system breaks down. It's unable to function. So these people start accumulating toxins in all of their tissues. And trouble is that uh, many of these toxins are fat-soluble, so they like to be accumulated in fatty tissues. And the brain is very high-fat tissue. So they accumulate in the brain, in the spine, in the rest of the nervous system, causing trouble there. And they accumulate in the bone marrow, causing leukemia and lymphoma and other problems in people. So um, in order to, de- to restore the detoxification system in the person, and in order to start removing all these toxins, we have to implement a natural detoxification program for people. And uh, one uh, part of that program is to avoid toxin exposure, because we live in a world which is quite toxic. But apart from that, uh, we willingly apply onto our bodies all sorts of very toxic, very poisonous substances, which absorb through skin very effectively, finish up in your bloodstream in seconds, and contribute to the general toxic load. And here I'm talking about our personal care products, all our shampoos and shower gels and bubble baths and toothpaste and other lotions and potions that we human beings lived without for millions of years perfectly well and perfectly healthily and have been seduced to use uh, in huge amounts and only in the recent few decades mm-hmm. uh, by commercial propaganda. So all those things have to be removed from the life of the person. Cleaning chemicals, domestic cleaning chemicals, laundry detergents and dishwasher powders and, and other chemicals in, in the house have to be removed. And I recommend that in the first year or so, when the child or the adult starts treatment protocol, um, the house doesn't get redecorated. Uh, You don't buy new furniture, you don't buy new kitchen, new curtains, or anything new like that, because all these things bring a plethora of chemicals into the household, which we breathe, which we are in contact with, and they will finish up at the same place, at the gates to your liver, which is already overloaded with work and cannot cope with the flow of toxicity in, in the body. So it doesn't make sense to add more to that flow. Dr. McBride, what do you recommend people use then as cleaning cosmetics? Well, a lot of cleaning can be done with just water and vinegar and bicarbonate of soda. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are many good companies now on the market which are producing biodegradable and natural alternatives Mm -hmm. to laundry powders and dishwasher detergents and um, personal care products and all sorts of other things. But the patients themselves, particularly children, should not use any personal care products at all. The skin, our human skin, should not be washed with soap at all. Because the soap washes off all the secretions that the skin produces to protect itself from drying out. Mm-hmm. And also these oily secretions provide a habitat for your skin flora. Mm-hmm. Our skin is heavily populated by its own microbial flora. And that flora is essential to protect your skin from pathogens that are in the environment from drying out and from various other problems. And if you keep washing off their habitat with your shower gels and bubble baths and other soaps, 
then you're leaving your skin exposed to drying out, first and foremost, and to invasion by anything pathogenic in the environment. So the skin of the body should not be washed with any soap at all, particularly for children, particularly in babies. For shampoo, um, women used for millennia, before all the shampoos and, and soaps were invented even, women used egg yolks, raw egg yolks, carefully separated from the whites. They worked perfectly well on the scalp. Teeth, mm -hmm. as Romans used to do, and as many other cultures around the world used to do, it is best to brush your teeth with olive oil or any other cold pressed oil. Cleans the teeth perfectly well, and at the same time it is best in an Ayurvedic procedure, which is called oil pull, which is a detoxifying procedure. Mm -hmm. In Ayurveda, it is one of the things that is recommended for people, and the more toxic the person is, the more often they have to do this procedure every day. What you do, you take a mouthful of oil, cold pressed oil, such as olive oil, into your mouth, and you just hold it in your mouth between your teeth and your lips, in, in that front compartment of the mouth, for 15 minutes minimum. And then you spit it out. And in those 15 minutes, the whole blood of your body gets passed through a rich capillary bed of your gums, and uh, the, inside the cheeks, inside your mouth, and that oil pulls out of the blood many toxic substances. And there are some uh, records made of people who recovered from all sorts of debilitating conditions simply doing just that procedure all day long. Doing nothing else, just doing that <laughs> all day long. So it can be quite effective. So if you switch to, to brushing your teeth with olive oil twice a day, you're doing it twice a day at least. So you're removing quite a lot of toxicity out of your body by simply brushing your teeth twice a day. So many things can be done naturally. And uh, there are some very good books written by former butlers of aristocratic families who have collected recipes and methods of cleaning the house and removing stains from furniture and carpets and doing all sorts of household things with natural needs, with mm -hmm. natural alternatives, without using toxic caustic chemicals. And that, that is all quite achievable and can be done. Dr. Natasha, how, how would you deal with females and makeup? With, with female? And, and makeup, you know, their, their makeup that they put on their face, because that can be also very toxic. Makeup, yes. Well, we need to start a clean face society. <laughs> I, I like that. Yes, one woman should start it. Because makeup is very toxic. Most of the pigments are based on lead and other toxic chemicals. And our skin, we thought for years that skin is a barrier, and now we know better. Our skin is like a sponge, it absorbs anything that goes on it. Anything that we put on our skin is absorbed. When you put your deodorant under your armpit, you can taste it in your mouth in seconds. Mm. Because the chemicals from this deodorant have absorbed through your skin into your bloodstream, and, and they're already in your saliva, so you can taste them. They're very, very toxic. Makeup is terribly toxic. And women expose themselves to this toxicity day in and day out. And the hair dyes are terribly toxic, even more toxic. And all these other hairdressing chemicals that, that are used there, they should not be used by women. So um, why would women willingly smear poisonous dirt all over their faces and think that it is beautiful? Beauty is good health shining through your skin. That's what the real beauty is. Mm -hmm. And if you ask any real man, he will tell you that they prefer a woman without makeup on her face. Yeah, it's true. It is true. Absolutely, because why would he want to kiss toxic chemicals instead of kissing <laughs> the woman that he likes? <laughs> um, Dr. Natasha, could you speak about the, um, the destruction that the pill can do to a female's good flora? Can you repeat the question again? The line's not very... Sorry, could, could, you, could you discuss how taking the pill can, can be detrimental to a, a, a woman's flora, good flora? Absolutely. Contraceptive pill is a, a major factor in many chronic diseases that women suffer from. We have an epidemic. Number one cancer that women are dying from in Britain is breast cancer. And a large percent of that, I would imagine that more than 60-70% of those women, the cause of that breast cancer is contraceptive pill and HRT. Mm. Without doubt, because the breast tissue, all female tissues such as breasts and ovaries and uterus, they are very responsive to estrogens, estrogenic stimulation. And uh, these pills 
have got xenoestrogens in them. Xenoestrogens are molecules which are similar to our real estrogens that we produce in our bodies, but they are slightly different. They're chemicals. They're, they're, they're foreign estrogens, chemical estrogens. And these pills provide chemical estrogens, xenoestrogens, which provide stimulation, inappropriate stimulation to the breast cells, and they go, they turn cancerous as a result, and they, they cause all these problems. Apart from them, contraceptive pills have a devastating effect on gut flora, because all our hormones in the body work as a team. Uh, they all, so as soon as one hormone goes out of um, balance, all the rest of the hormones go out of balance, and many hormones are produced in the gut wall in interaction with our gut flora. So once the hormonal profile in the gut wall changes, the gut flora changes. So this is one of the major contributing factors to why our young ladies who are ready to start their families uh, have very abnormal gut flora and that's what they pass to their babies. Because young girls nowadays in our modern society are put on a contraceptive pill at a very young age, quite often at the age of 14, 15, and by the time they're ready to start their family, they've been taking those pills for quite a few years. So the pill has a, a, a serious uh, chance to damage their gut flora, quite seriously. Add to that all the antibiotics that our children are given, pretty much from birth, the girls are exposed to. Add to that to the fact that many women nowadays not, nowadays not breastfeed their babies, and uh, the young ladies who are having children now were born in the 70s and 80s when breastfeeding went out of fashion, when all these powder milks came on the market, and uh, many, many of these youngsters were not breastfed themselves. Why is that important? Because now we know that a bottle-fed baby develops completely different gut flora to the breastfed baby. And in a bottle-fed baby that predisposes her to development of allergies, asthma, eczema, and various other problems, because mm -hmm. she acquires abnormal gut flora right from the beginning. Uh, her gut flora doesn't have a chance to develop properly. So many of our youngsters, our young ladies who are having children now, were not breastfed to start with. Then they were uh, given lots of antibiotics throughout their childhood. Then they were brought up on a, a, a junk diet, many, many processed foods and processed carbohydrates, which feed pathogens in the gut at the expense of the beneficial flora. So the pathogens have a better chance to survive and to thrive on these processed foods. And then, of course, they put on a contraceptive pill. So by the time these ladies are ready to start the family, their gut flora is quite seriously compromised. And that's what they pass into their newborn babies. Um, what was I going to ask now? Dr. McBride, can, can, you, can you speak about the importance of animal fat in the diet? Absolutely. There is a lot of misinformation about fat uh, in our modern world. In fact, we live in a world of fat phobia, which is created by commercial powers. It is not created by real science. The real honest science has been telling us, and it's telling us with an increased intensity now, that the most important fats for the human body are animal fats. Fats coming from the meat, that that is pork fat, and lamb fat, and beef fat, and goose fat, and duck fat, and butter, and cream, and ghee. Why is that? Because when we look at the uh, fatty acid profile of the human fat in our own bodies, and when we look at the fatty acid profile of the animal fats coming from animals, they are very similar, they are very parallel. So these animal fats provide us with the right kind of composition of fat to feed our own physiology, to feed our own brain, and our bone marrow, and our immune system, and the rest of our bodies. There is a lot of hype about omega-3 and omega-6 oils, and of course the mainstream um, industry is, uh, has been brainwashing the population for a long time that the best thing are the vegetable oils, uh, which is not true at all. These oils, which come from plants, have a wrong fatty acid profile for the human body. They do not supply our physiology appropriately at all. They overload the body with omega-6 fatty acids, uh, and that is a huge problem that has now been linked to every degenerative condition um, that has become epidemic in our modern world. The overload of omega-6 fatty acids from vegetable oils. 
they, they underlie the autoimmunity and the uh, chronic fatigue syndrome and all the arthritis and, and all the um, learning disabilities and infertility epidemic and all the other chronic conditions. But apart from that, what you have to understand that vegetable oils, oils in plants, in nuts and seeds and uh, other plant matter, are polyunsaturated. They are very fragile. They are easily damaged by light, by oxygen, by pressure, by chemicals. And that is exactly what happens to them when they are extracted in our great big factories where the vegetable oils are made. Mm -hmm. They are subjected to heat and solvents and light and oxygen and pressure and all sorts of other uh, influences. So the resulting oil that is sold in supermarkets in those great big bottles as a cooking oil, a vegetable oil, is full of chemically mutilated abnormal fatty acids and, uh, uh, and other substances which cause, now cause, and it is, has been proven in the last 60-70 years by our mainstream science, it has been proven that they cause autoimmune conditions and they cause cancer and they cause heart disease and they cause obesity and they cause diabetes and they cause Alzheimer's disease and mental problems and learning disabilities and infertility and damaging babies and any other problem you can imagine. So these are the things which are very damaging, very unhealthy to eat and nobody should eat them. Nobody. Mm -hmm. Don't touch vegetable oils. Don't touch cooking oils. And do not touch any disconfounded new fats which are made from them, such as margarine and butter replacements and spreadable butter and, and all sorts of other weird and wonderful things in our supermarkets. We have been designed to eat real butter and we have been designed to eat animal fats. And this needs to be 95-96% of your fat consumption. And the more you have these fats, the healthier you will be. Because the science has proven conclusively that animal fats not only don't have anything to do with heart disease, they actually prevent heart disease. Mm -hmm. And they are essential for the brain to function. Because our brain is a very high fat organ and it renews itself all the time. Various cells die out in the brain all the time and are replaced by newly born, fresh cells. And in order for the brain to give birth to those new baby cells, it needs building materials, doesn't it? It needs to make them from something. And these building materials come from meat and animal fat mm -hmm. and from eggs. So if you want to feed your brain well, you will have two, three, four eggs per day. That is essential for every person to have every day. You will have butter, plenty of butter, and you will have bacon, and you will have pork, and lamb, and, and, and uh, beef, and goose, and chicken, and duck, and all these sort of things. These are the things which feed your brain, and feed your immunity, and feed your lungs, and feed your heart, and feed the rest of your body properly. They provide the building blocks for your body to renew itself, to give birth to new cells, which replace the dying cells and to rejuvenate you and to keep you healthy and strong and to provide a good energy for your body. Not the plant matter, not the plant foods. Plant foods generally have been designed by Mother Nature not to feed us, but to cleanse us and to provide some energy. Mm -hmm. That's the purpose of the grains and beans and nuts and vegetables and fruit and, and the rest of the plant matter. They are not feeders, they are cleansers. They keep the body clean and they provide some energy. The substances which are meant to feed and build the human body, the brick and mortar that our cells are built from, that your bones are built from, and your muscles, and your heart, and your lungs, and your liver, and your brain, come from meat, fish, eggs, and dairy. Mm -hmm. These are the feeding, building foods. And this is what people have been scared to death to eat by our mainstream propaganda. And where does that propaganda come from? It doesn't come from science. Science is an impoverished business. They haven't got any money to propagate their findings through the population. They have no money. Educating the population is a very expensive business. Extremely expensive. And science doesn't have money for that. Who has the money to educate the population? And who has the uh, invested uh, um, interest in, in educating the population? What the population should eat and what they shouldn't eat? Our food industry, of course. And food industry has got all the money in the world to do that, to educate the population what the population should eat and what they shouldn't eat. So all these ideas about low fat and don't eat meat and don't eat eggs and don't eat this, that and the other comes from food industry. Because fresh 
foods like that don't keep very long and they're not profitable it is far more profitable for the food industry to process them so they keep forever on the shelf and they are far more profitable so they don't want us to eat fresh things they want us to eat their processed alternatives which are very profitable for them that's where all this information comes from it's uh uh, when when I watched the um, the Wise Traditions DVD video from the the Western A Price Foundation, I laughed at your presentation when you when you mentioned the, um, you were in Scotland and you tried to get some butter and it took you like six shops to find butter <laughs> and, and, and all you could find was margarine and, and you were, you said you were livid you were so angry and like you went up to one of the clerks and you were like where's all the butter and then they were like don't you know butter's bad like <laughs> absolutely. Well, you know that the Irish government, uh, and governments are lobbied by food industry all the time. Food industry funds them, funds many, many government activities. That's why governments serve food industry, and mm. they will do what food industry tells them to do. You know that the Irish government is trying to ban the sale of raw milk in I, Ireland? I know, yeah, I, I, was, I was on the petition. Um, the, I, I interviewed the woman, Elizabeth Ryan, for my radio show, for my podcast, um, about she, she was one of the head figures um, to, to, to stop that coming into government. And the most amazing thing is that the Irish government is actually taking as an example Scotland to do that because Scottish have banned raw milk a few decades ago already. And the irony of it is that Scottish people are the sick man of Europe. Scottish people have the highest rates of heart disease and cancer and diabetes and Alzheimer's disease and all the other modern uh, maladies. So why would Irish people want to copy the Scottish people? Well, I have no they idea. They want to that. become the sick man of Europe as well. <laughs> <laughs> as you said, it's, it's, it's money and politics and, uh, and everything else. Absolutely. You know, the Scottish government has passed this legislation quietly under the carpet before the, the, the Scottish people even realised what was going on. Well, it, it was it was the same here in Ireland too. It was very unknown, and in fairness, you know, we really have to, you know, congratulate Elizabeth Ryan for the, for the tremendous work she did to to kind of bring it more into into the into public knowledge. It's wonderful. I hope that Irish people do realise the value of real milk, and mm. I hope they all protect it and protect their right that they have at the moment, because it's very easy to lose it. Yeah. Before you even know. What's happening? So, Dr. Natasha, just going on from the discussion of animal fats, what's your view then on vegans and vegetarians? Well, as I said, uh, Mother Nature provided us with two groups of foods. One group of foods, which are animal foods, meat, fish, eggs and dairy, which are the building feeding foods, that they build the body. The second group of plants, and their main function is not to feed us, they're actually very poor, in terms of feeding human body, they cleanse us, they clean us, and they provide some energy. Why they are not building and not feeding? Because the human digestive system has been not been designed to digest them, mm -hmm. to extract anything useful out of them. Mm -hmm. um, in order to digest plants, Mother Nature has created a whole group of herbivorous animals. And in order for these animals to digest plant matter, Mother Nature provided them with a very special digestive system called rumen. They have several stomachs which are full of bacteria, and it's, so it's not the cow that digests the grass. It's that bacteria, bacteria in her rumen that break down the grass for her and feed her with all the nutrients in the grass. We human beings don't have rumen. We only have one little stomach which is uh, devoid of bacteria. It's pretty much sterile. It doesn't have much bacteria in it at all. And it produces hydrochloric acid and pepsin. And these two substances are only fit to digest meat, eggs, fish, and dairy. That is why our digestive system has been designed to derive all the feeding and the building substances for us. The substances which build your brain and build your muscles and your bones and your heart and your lungs and your liver and the rest of you. Mm -hmm. From meat, eggs, fish, and dairy. Mm -hmm. Plant matter goes through us largely undigested. We can just extract from it some cleansing, some vitamins, some minerals, and some energy. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are some diseases which require to starve the body and cleanse it. Cleanse, 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 and cleanse. And this is cancer. That is why all the nutritional protocols which are successful in treating cancer are vegan. For example, Gerson protocol. 
because cancer is such a, a beast that it also requires feeding. It loves the, the feed, the food, and you have to starve it out. Obviously, the rest of the body is starving as well at the same time, but um, while you're starving the cancer, there is a good chance for it to go. Uh, so the vegan diet, the only situation when it is useful, when we have a person with a cancer, these people are very, very toxic people. They, they, their bodies are full of chemicals, man-made chemicals that they've accumulated throughout their lives. And it's these chemicals that cause the cancer in the body. So you have to cleanse. And that's the only situation when vegan diet is appropriate. Do you... Do, but do, do, do in you... a lifestyle, vegan oh. diet is the most foolish decision anybody can make. Mm -hmm. Because you cannot continue cleansing and not feed yourself. You'll just starve yourself to death. Mm -hmm. What happens to the to, to these people? Uh, menstruation stops, the libido stops, all the sexual activity stops. They become infertile. They become translucent. They lose a lot of weight. Their immunity stops functioning, so they start catching any infection that goes uh, goes around these people. And uh, the sense of humor goes. They become very black and white people. They don't understand the nuances of um, language and social interaction. Uh, from my experience. So it is not a good idea to choose veganism as a lifestyle. It is a good idea to do it on an occasional basis to cleanse, as periods of cleansing. And indeed, every religion around the world has got a period when you recommend that you eat only vegan products because you want to cleanse. So a couple of months, that's a good idea. For a person who is more toxic, perhaps a year is uh, in order to just cleanse. But once your body cleansed, you need to start feeding it. You need to start eating meat, fish, eggs, and dairy to feed your body. So do, do, do you feel that's why a lot of people say initially, oh, when I went vegan, I felt brilliant, I had great energy, but after about a year or two years or three years, I, I started to feel that it, it was working against my body? Of course. A cleaner body always feels better than a dirty body, mm -hmm. doesn't it? So once you start cleansing your body, start removing all those toxins you have accumulated throughout your life, of course you will start feeling better. Mm -hmm. That's why people who go vegan in the initial stages feel very well. Mm -hmm. But then the body comes to a certain point when it finished cleansing and it wants to start feeding now. And if you don't provide feeding foods for it, you can start running into trouble. Mm -hmm. There, there's a famous, um, well, he's not famous, but there's a health practitioner called Daniel Vitalis, and I heard him say um, recently that veganism is actually an experiment, that veganism actually hasn't gone through a process of generations of generations of people where uh, animal eating has, and even vegetarianism has. Like, Basically, he's saying that animal products have always been in the human diet to some degree, but there's never been like generations of vegans producing, continuing to produce offspring and for generations and generations. Would you agree with that? I don't think these people are able to produce offspring. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They're not able. Every person that went vegan and stayed longer than a year as a vegan, um, in my experience, every person that I have met, uh, in women the menstruation has stopped months ago. Mm -hmm. She's not even menstruating anymore, so she cannot conceive. And in men, the libido and any sexual uh, ability is gone months mm -hmm. ago. Mm -hmm. They are not able to procreate these people. So uh, it isn't. If you look at the research of Western A. Price and other doctors who traveled around the world studying traditional cultures, they have not found one vegan culture around the world, purely plant-based culture. Mm -hmm. There is no such thing. We human beings evolved on this planet to eat everything we can find in our immediate environment animal products and plant products, whatever, you know, uh, was edible in our environment. Mm -hmm. That is why vegan cultures do not exist, because they simply cannot procreate, they can't have children. Mm -hmm. There are some vegetarian um, traditions, uh, such as in India, for example, some castes in India are vegetarian, but the most prized foods in their diet are those animal foods that they can obtain. Yeah. That is why, for example, a cow is a sacred animal in India. You can be executed for harming a cow because they know that cow is a source of absolutely immensely valuable animal food for them the building the feeding food and that's milk and butter and ghee and also if you go to india there's chickens running around everywhere so they, they all have chickens so they're eating eggs and they're eating dairy so they kept two foods out of the group of feeding animal foods the mm -hmm. dairy and the eggs that's mm -hmm. why they do okay 
And these are the only vegetarians that actually can be healthy, mm -hmm. who continue eating high-fat dairy, lots of cheese, lots of butter, and lots of eggs. So what's your opinion on a lot of the plant-based plant diet that a lot of the doctors are, are pushing out there? You know, the likes of... Um, T. Colin Campbell and Dean Ornish, do you feel that it's that initial detoxification and that's why they're seeing a lot of patients get better, but you feel in the long run it, it, it's going to go against them, as you said, that initially it's just kind of a detox, but in the long run you're going to need to feed yourself with these animal fats? Absolutely, absolutely. If a person is toxic and detoxification is required, it is a good idea to go vegan for a, for a while, to just cleanse. To cleanse your body. And you, you think... But, you, but then you, there will be a point when you yeah. need to start feeding yourself. Yeah. Not as a lifestyle, not as a permanent thing at all. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. For a period of time, it's a good idea for all of us to do that. The ultimate cleansing uh, program is fasting. Yeah. And fasting has been around for millennia. And there are some well-established fasting clinics in Europe, um, which have been around for many, many decades. It's a wonderful method of cleansing when you stop eating altogether and your digestive system can rest and the body can redirect its energy to doing other jobs in the body such as cleansing, such as detoxifying. Mm -hmm. But of course you can't fast forever. You have to start eating at some point. <laughs> and vegan diet is a form of fasting. Yeah. You, uh, you sort of feel that you witnessed something, you filled, you filled your digestive system with something, but it is an indigestible stuff. So in reality your body is starving, you are fasting in a way, uh, while your digestive system is kept busy digesting something. So you can't do it for a long time, you can do it for a period of time to cleanse yourself, but then you have to stop it and you have to start eating animal products as well in order to start building your body. Mm -hmm. um, I won't keep you much longer Dr. Natasha, just another w question or two. Can you just speak about candida briefly and the effects of candida and also this kind of hangover that it can cause in people? Candida is a yeast, a pathogenic yeast. It's a fungus and fungi are a wonderful family of creatures on this planet that Mother Nature has designed as cleansers, as recyclers. They, uh, they jump on any decaying, anything dead in, in the world, in the, in the nature and they just break it apart and turn it into soil. That is their function. And they do the same thing in our bodies. When the body has accumulated a particular toxin that it cannot dispose of itself on its own, it invites candida to break it apart for it, to do that work for it, and dispose of it. And when the toxin is gone, that's when the candida will go. So you can be fighting candida forever, taking antifungal medication and antifungal natural remedies and doing all sorts of things it will not be gone until the toxin that it's handling and dealing with is gone. A number one toxin for many people in our modern world is mercury from the amalgam fillings. Mm -hmm. If you have amalgam fillings in your teeth, your candida will never be gone from your digestive system until you have removed those amalgams. And until quite a few months have passed after that, after the last amalgam is gone, uh, for your body to actually dispose of that mercury. Mm -hmm. for your body to manage to get rid of it. Candida will not be gone. Candida is also um, employed to le handle lead and to handle arsenic and to handle many other toxins in the body. So as long as you continue being exposed to these things, if you've got old piping in your house, for example, or if you're using fire retardants in the house, or you, which are full of arsenic, or you're using some other chemicals, or perhaps you're exposed to something at work on a daily basis, or um, in some other area of your life, candida will never leave you because your body will keep it in as a recycler, as a cleanser. Mm -hmm. So you have to examine your whole lifestyle and see where are you exposed to man-made chemicals that keep coming into your body that candida needs to handle. Mm -hmm. And finally, uh, Dr. Natasha, could you speak briefly about your course that, that, you, that you're running? Can you speak briefly about the the courses that you, you're you're running for for practitioners, the GAPS the course, course that you're in, the the oh the practitioner yeah the the the, the courses or the course that you're running for practitioners now the GAPS yeah, course practitioner course yeah. yeah I train medical practitioners medical doctors uh, nurses nutritionists chiropractors osteopaths naturopaths 
homeopaths, people who are trained and people who are running a, a, a practice already, I train them in the GAPS nutritional protocol and they become certified GAPS practitioners. The course um, lasts two days, it's a very intensive uh, two days training and um, all the information about it is on my website gaps.me and on my blog dr-natasha.com doctor is spelled as, as, the, as, as the whole word mm-hmm. dr-natasha.com uh, so all the information is there the next course I'm doing in April in Australia and New Zealand and after that uh, we have a waiting list for another course in London so we'll be doing, doing a course fairly soon in London um, and there will be more courses in September, October in the North America mm-hmm. that's brilliant um, Dr. McBride, thanks a million for, for your time. I, I really, really appreciate it. Guys, Dr. Natasha's book, again, is uh, The Gaps Diet, Gut and Psychology Syndrome. I highly recommend it. You can get it through Amazon and a few other sources, so check it out. Um, I'll talk to you next time, and take care. Thank you. Thanks a million.